my shirt's a little wrinkled, so I can't bring this down too much. You know? Am I the only one who wears sweaters during the winter so I don't have to iron my shirt? Come, confession, come on, let's be honest here, all right? I got the man in the back, he, he laughing, he's holding that laughing. <laughs> I like his sweater. You got a shirt underneath? <laughs> well, hey, man, good, it's good to be with you all uh, this morning. It's weird not to, to not have John Clifford here in the family. I know, man. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's that? Maybe for me, yeah, yeah. So, but it's good to be here. We got, uh, we got up around 7 o'clock. Well, I got up earlier than that. We left the house around 8-ish. Had a quick detour to, to Duncan. You know, got to the, get the coffee. Especially Marilyn wanted her hazelnut, her hazelnut coffee. So we got that. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too bad uh, driving on the road. So we got here in pretty good time. Again, we beat, we beat Ed. So um, competition, always between me and Ed. So <laughs> the first time we last, that's right. Hey, if you guys have your scriptures, go ahead and turn to Genesis. I've been given the task of trying to cover three, six, seven, eight, yeah, three chapters, Genesis chapter six through eight. I'm not going to cover it all. I'm just going to be honest with you. So they may not have me back. Um, I thought about just reading it. We could spend the time just reading and then that will, you guys can be dismissed. That, that'll be my attempt to, to cover it all. But, um, but I'll get, I'll get through some, the most, the most of it. Okay. Uh, before we jump into it, I always love just to kind of give a quick update. On, on the family and and the, the ministry, so uh, often people ask us how's ministry going, and uh, Marilette and I are, are in full time ministry with crew, specifically with family life, which is a ministry of crew. So we've been working with marriages and, and families right in in the Bushwick section of Brooklyn, but doing a lot of uh, also city stuff. And one of the cool things that we've been doing is really partnering with the local church, and so uh, we help oversee, we help give leadership to the Awana program at Evergreen. You guys have Awana here, right? Yeah. No. No, not no more. Okay, changes, changes happen. Okay, but uh, one of the cool things that we've been able to bring the Awana program to the park, and and kind of connect with families there, and uh, there was one family who connected back in September, and I thought they were gonna you know keep coming, and we, they didn't even come at all. They didn't come to any of the indoor Awana, and then just about two weeks ago, I see the mother, and I see the daughter coming to the church, and I'm like, what? It's like, we saw you back in September. I thought you guys were like done with this. Like you thought we, we were a cult, cult or something. Um, and she's like, no, my daughter's been bugging me for the last like three months to bring her to Awana Club. And so she showed up to Awana with her daughter, uh, her daughter uh, Emily, and that girl has a lot of energy, man. She was all over the place. But the cool thing is, again, like that's the picture, man. How do we connect with families in our community, families who may be far from God and, and far from the church, and just, you know, partner to reach, reach, reach the families. Um, so that's one cool thing that's happening. Again, that we have five kids. No kids are on the way, no more kids. I think I, I, I told you guys that last year. Um, and uh, except we do have a, we kind of have an addition to the family, the baby doll, right, that Faith has. Our, little, our youngest is Faith. And she goes, we don't need another baby. I got the baby right here. And she, she brings her baby doll to us yesterday morning. Mommy, don't, you don't need no more. Just, this is the baby. And so um, I think that's it. That's, that's the, last, the last child is that baby doll, doll for us. <laughs> so again, Genesis chapter 6. Just wanted to give you guys a quick update on ministry and, and, and family. But Genesis chapter 6, let's go ahead and pray before we jump into our, our text this morning. God, I thank you so much um, for this day that you've created. God, this is the day you've made, and we're going to rejoice as your word tells us, Lord. And God, I thank you um, for the power of your word. I thank you for the story that 
God, we're, we're so familiar with this story. The majority of us have, have read this in Sunday school. It's a, it's a common Sunday school lesson. So God, I thank you that we get a chance to look at it this morning. And as my brother mentioned, Lord, Brian, just that, um, you would allow us to retain the things you need us to retain. God, that we just, we wouldn't walk away, um, that we would walk away just maybe wrestling with something in this particular text. Maybe, maybe we'll walk away this morning um, having to process something a little bit further, a question that was, that was asked or a, a comment that was made. Um, God, that's, that's really my prayer. And I know that's the prayer of the, the leadership here at, at, a, at this church, Lord, at this chapel. The reason why we preach your word and the reason why we open up your word on Sunday morning is because we believe your word is, is alive and it's active and it's powerful. God, it, it, it penetrates, it, 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 it targets areas of our, of our lives. It, it, it brings forth uh, a desire to change and, and, it, and it brings forth a, a direction, a new direction we may need to take in our lives. Your word can do that. It encourages us. It equips us. It, again, it confronts issues in our lives. But it also, um, it gives us a, a, a we, get, we can get a deeper understanding of your word. And so I pray that will be the case this morning. Um, God, you must increase, I must decrease more of you and less of me as, I, as we look at your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I had planned to give you guys notes today. Um, but I'm sorry, I, I left it. Not, I didn't leave the handouts out. I was messing with that computer back, the printer back there, and I was just like, I'm going to waste a lot of paper. I'm trying to be, you know, green and environmentally, environmentally friendly. No, I'm not. Um, but I just didn't want to waste all the paper and all the ink. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I ain't getting handouts this morning. So, but if you're taking notes, um, I wanna, we're gonna, I'm going to really talk, talk on two things this, this morning as we look at Genesis 6 through 8. My two points, and it, it relates to the flood, that the flood... It talks about the judgment of God, so that's my point number one, and then it talks about the grace of God, okay? Two, two main points this morning, obviously I'll unpack some things as we go through that. The judgment of God and the grace of God. And before we look at the judgment of God, just, I assume you guys have been working through the book of Genesis. Is that assumption correct? All right, so this is not, this is not new, and I'm sure those that I've gotten up front have given you guys kind of a general overview of what Genesis is about, right? So just real quick. What do you know in terms of the structure of Genesis? I'm, I'm going to test your knowledge here. What do you know about the general structure of, of, of the book of Genesis? That's a, I forgot. Let me back. For those that don't know me, I often ask questions that require you guys to respond, okay? That's, that's how I roll. I, I'm, I'm more of a, I, I prefer like, Small groups. I love to ask questions. I love to facilitate a conversation. I'm, I'm less of a preacher, right? And probably, probably more of a teacher. So that's why I'm asking questions. Okay, so what do you know about the basic structure of Genesis? It all went bad after chapter 3, yeah? Downhill. Creation. The timeline. Who said timeline? You said that with like, you had a strong voice, man. I got scared for a second, bro. Timeline, yeah. It's broken. Genesis covers how many chapters? How many, how many chapters in the book of Genesis? 49, right? So you can break Genesis down into, I think it's 50 actually. 50, wait a minute. He said 40, I was like, wait a minute, no, 50. It's broken into to two main sections, right? Chapters 1 to about 11 cover a span of about 1,000 years. It's, it's, it's a pretty large swath of history, 
right? And it moves very fast. And we see four main events in those chapters. The first one being what? Creation. The second one being fall. The third, flood. And the fourth, Tower of Babel. All right, so I believe whoever is talking next week will probably talk on the Tower of Babel. Creation, fall, flood, Tower of Babel. Four great events. Sections, chapters 1 through 11 covers that. Okay? The second part of the book, chapters, I think, 12 to 50, covers four people. Okay? Four people. Who are those people? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Excellent. You guys, man, y'all know y'all know your thing. Y'all elders, the elders are doing a good job of, of teaching. All right. And so those that's just the basic structure. The last half of it, it's very, it kind of it's it's it covers about a hundred years is, is the, the time span there. Okay. And so going back to Genesis chapter six, we are in the, the section of the flood, right? The third main event. Let's go ahead and read verses one through thirteen, and then we'll talk about some of these points. I go to a what? 11.30? Is that ideally? 11.30-ish? All right. When I'm done. All right. Some of y'all going to get up before 11. I'm like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. All right. I remember one time somebody got up, and I'm like, dang, what did I say? And I, I was saying something that was a bit controversial. I tried not to. And I was like, dude, oh, man, I felt like I messed up or something like that. And the person no longer came to this church or something. I don't know. But it wasn't. They had a, they had a game to go to. <laughs> Genesis chapter 6, verse 1. It says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved them to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animal, and every creeping thing and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The rest of the chapter, which we won't read in detail, it kind of outlines the, the details, right, in terms of how Noah is to build this ark, the dimensions of the ark. And then eventually Noah begins to bring in the animals. How many of you guys remember the song? The Lord told Noah. Very, we could sing it right now, right? To build him an arky, arky. And then it, they came in by what? Toosie, twosies, elephants and 
Kangaroosies, Roosies, children, right? We know that song. And it's such like a, like a happy song when you sing it. But then you think about the context of the, of the song. It's not a happy song. It's not a happy situation. We're singing about kangaroos coming in by twosie twosies, right? Elephants and all that stuff. It rained and poured. And you get up and you see, man, when you look at the context of chapter 6, you see my first point. The flood reveals God's judgment. It reveals God's judgment. Verse, verse 5, let's go back to verse 5. It says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil or evil continually, right? Wickedness, that word wickedness, it means properly to spoil, to, to, to bad or evil. I think of the image of, a, of milk, right? If you leave milk out too long or if you don't drink milk at the, the appropriate date, what happens to the milk? It spoils, right? And you think, you, you, you ever smell rotten milk? Is it a pretty, yuck. She said, yuck. I heard that, yuck. You heard it, right? It's not cool. <laughs> no one wants to drink rotten milk. I remember a couple, this was probably last year or, no, at family camp. We were at family camp and we were, or at camp, and we were forcing the kids to drink their cereal. Like, you gotta, you, I mean, to, to eat the cereal, to drink their milk, and they were all complaining. And then finally, one of the mothers had the, the, the brain to like, let me taste it. And they realized that it was, the milk was rotten. <laughs> and so we were forcing the kids to, to eat their cereal, to drink the milk. And there, were, you know, there was a reason why, rotten. It, it was disgusting. And so God looks out. He sees this wickedness, right? The scripture says that every intent of the heart, every intent of their heart was wickedness. And I, I like to break down the word heart. I have an acronym. It's called Teddy, okay? Or maybe, yeah, Teddy. And here's, because I often say, what does the heart mean? What does that actually mean, the heart? The T stands for thoughts, okay? Thoughts. E stands for emotions. So the thoughts of man was wicked. The emotions of man were wicked. Uh, D stands for desires, right? So the, even the desires of man, the thoughts, the emotions, the desires, and then I, I, I have a Y, yearnings, right? Like, I guess that's similar to desires. But think about that. Your thoughts... The emotions, the, the desires, the yearnings, all of this was bent towards what? Towards wickedness. It was towards evil continually. And so God looks at the world that he creates. He says, something, something needs to change. Something is off here. Something is off here. I love what one of the commentary, the commentators, uh, commentator, how am I saying? What do you say? One of the authors who writes a commentary, I like what he said, all right? He used the analogy of like a ledger book, right? A ledger book has to, it has to balance, right? If you're taking X amount of money out, you need to make sure you have X amount of money in. And when it doesn't balance, there needs to be a correction. There needs to be a correction. And so that's what, that's, I love that analogy because that's what's happening here. God is looking at his creation and there needs to be a correction. Something's off. Something's off. We see God having to make correction. We see the, 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 the judgment of God in this passage. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 6. Just real quick, I want you to read verse 5. Let's read verse 5 again. And then I want us to read verses 11 and 12. Verse 5 says, The Lord observed that the, the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. 
Then verses 11 through 12, it says, Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was what? Corrupt. What do you see repeated in those verses? Corrupt, right? The, the Hebrew teachers of the day, the people that taught, the, the English Hebrew teachers, not English Hebrew teachers, but the teachers that taught the ch young child Hebrew, they would often say, you want to make a point, repeat your words, right? Repeat your words. And so that's what we see in here, right? The, the, the author is trying to make a point here. This is, a, this is not a rosy situation. This is a wicked situation, right? I want you guys for a second, for those that have uh, smartphones, just pull out your smart. For those that would like to do this, you don't have to do this, all right? Pull out your smartphone. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you sign up for anything, okay? I want you, if, you, if you're willing to do this, one of the websites I love to visit is Drudge Report. Anybody, any Drudge Report people in here? I love Drudge Report. It's just a, it keeps you, it's a news site, okay? Uh, I love to stay updated on what's happening in the news, the politics. So I want you to just visit Drudge Report real quick, okay? If you're able to, if you're willing to do this. Or if you like the New York Post, visit the New York Post. Again, I love news, okay? Whatever website you visit, maybe if, if you, you're more progressive and you, you like to know what's going on in the liberal side, you probably visit Huff, Huffington Post, okay? What are some of the top headlines that you see this morning as you visit that, those websites? Just kind of shout it out. If you're on Drudge Report, maybe they have Brantford Times. I don't know if they have that, you know. What are some of the top news reports you see? Balloon shot down, okay. Finally, right? <laughs> what else? Any anyone any any headline that jumps out that's like yo that's crazy. Somebody's laughing back there. That's probably I don't know what that is. You probably she's like oh my Instagram. <laughs> I, I I read one yesterday where a, a three year old kid was left in this deplorable condition, um, and the. The investigators realized the mom, the parent, and the, the dad and mom had overdosed on something. And this poor three-year-old kid was left to himself in a very deplorable condition. You, know, that, you, you go to the New York Post and you just look at the headlines today. You look at this world and you say, something is jacked up in this world, right? Something is off. Something is broken. We, we live in a broken world. There's something messed up when you read a story like that. I mean, even the whole balloon situation with China, right? I'm not going to go into that, but there's some underlying assumptions there as well. And China's now responding like, America shot us down, so we're going to have to retaliate. What does that mean? Like, we're in this perpetual state of war and this perpetual state of conflict, right? Like, this world is broken. This world is broken. Job said in, in Job 15, 16, he said, how much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh the water, it drinketh iniquity like water. Psalms 14, verses 2 through 3 says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's anyone who understands, who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not even one. Think about how this broke God's heart to see the wickedness. And now I'm not going to go into this. I'm going to bring it up because I think it's a, it's a conversation that needs to happen or it, I think it's, it should happen even in smaller groups. 
But you look at the, the, the wickedness, the evil, and you're like, well, wait a minute. Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God create the world in the first place? Right? People raise that question. Well, that's why I can't believe in God. Why would, he, why would he create a world and then judge? That just doesn't make sense. That's a real objection that people bring. And how do we as, a, as, a, as believers and as a church, how do we address that? The problem of pain, the problem of evil, that's a real reality. Even God's judgment, right? There's been people who, who kind of skip over those pages in, in Scripture. They have a hard time embracing God's judgment. And I think the most simplistic way is we know that God is a God who is holy, right? He can't tolerate that. God judges. In the midst of this corruption, if we go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 6, what does it read? It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. The word, that word that, that, that gives you the language of this, this sense of to, to breathe strongly, it, it means to express disgust, right? Some people say, man, oh, God is not all-knowing. Like, he regrets. He, had, he was sorry for creating the world. So people make, use this argument to say, to use this verse to make the argument, oh, there, therefore God is not all-knowing. Because why would he create the world? And these, are, these are some real deep theological questions that need to be wrestled through, which I'm not going to because I would prefer to do it more in a, in a, in a, in a, in a small group setting. Um, but I think what God is getting at and what we see in this passage, God was sorrowful and, and sad. It grieved him to his heart. Right? Think about the pain when you look outside the world and you see wrong things happening, injustice, you see evil, how does that, how does that sit with you? When I heard the story of that three-year-old kid, I thought immediately of my three-year-old daughter. I, I thought of when I was a little kid and I woke up in the middle of the night and my mom wasn't around for whatever reason. I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the details, but there was this fear in me. Think about that little kid. Right? When you look at the wickedness of this world or the injustice, it, it affects you a certain way. Right now, for some of us, when you are so, are so far removed from, from that, maybe you, just, it's a, it's a, you kind of just keep it moving. You don't think about it too much. But when you actually take time to sit in that, it does something to you. It affects you. Right? It affects you. My brother, he lost his, his mom. Right? I'm, I'm not putting you on the spot. But I, I know Steve. I know Mona. Right, I know that kind of man that, that Steve was as a father. I saw him every day for years, travel an hour and a half to go visit his wife in an all in a, in a Alzheimer's, a, a, a hospital that was taking care of her. Every day he was diligent, the commitment. How much pain is he feeling right now? And he's going through to have lost his wife. Man, there's there's again, there's there's real pain, and you know, we see. And if it pains us a certain way, why not God? We're made in God's image. And so the flood, we, it reveals this sense of depravity. It, it, it reveals that there's this wickedness and that God's going to judge the world. And he does. Again, chapter 6, it, it breaks that down. In chapter 7, we see more details of the actual flood. So let's go ahead and read uh, Genesis chapter 7. Verses 17 through 24. Genesis 7, let's go ahead and read verses 17 through 24. It says, And the flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the water. 
And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. I think that's from another version that says 22 feet. So think about the highest mountain peak. The flood's waters went above that 20 by 22 feet. That's crazy, right? 22 feet. Verse 21, And all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swam on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animal, and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Destruction. God's judgment. How long did the flood last, like in terms of like when the, the, the boat actually resided and, and Noah was able to come out of the boat? Does anybody know? I hope I'm right here. But it was about a year. From when it started to when he was able to set, set foot back on ground, it was about a year. That's a long time to be on a boat, all right? A long time. But the other thing that we see, and I, this is my second point, is that not only do we see the flood reveals God's judgment, but if we go back to chapter 6, verse 8, the flood reveals God's grace. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In the midst of all this corruption, in the midst of all this wickedness, we're introduced to that, that, that phrase, that word, but. Right? The author is trying to make a comparison. Right? He's trying to contrast the wickedness of society, but Noah... Noah finding grace in the sight of the Lord, right? I, I had to, I'm, I'm going to go here, and John's not here. You know, hey, the Mets are good, but the Yankees are better, right? I had, I had to do that, right? Right? <laughs> John's going to hear the recording. He's never going to ask me back. What, what am I doing? I'm intentionally what? I'm drawing a contrast, right? And this is what the author is doing here. This is what he's doing here. And I think when you look at God's judgment and you look at um, Noah finding grace or Noah, Noah finding favor in the eyes of the Lord, you know, God is a, is a God of, of grace. He's a God who is long-suffering. And he just didn't wake up one day and say, boom, I'm done with the earth and I'm going to wipe them out right now. So let me send the rain. He didn't do that, right? He didn't do that. There was, there was, there was time allotted so that if, if people would change, if people would change. And that's what we see throughout the scripture, right? God is a God who extends grace and he gives time. You think about Sodom and Gomorrah. Who is he talking to in Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham is interceding and saying, God, if there are 50 people, can you spare the city? And God's like, yeah, I can. And what is Abraham doing? He's negotiating. He's like, God, can I come down a little bit? And he's like, yeah, go down. He keeps going. He goes down to what number? Do you guys remember what number he goes down to? 10. And God's like, yes, if you can find 10 people, I'm going to spare this city. God gave him time. But guess what happens? There was not even 10. Judgment. You think about the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Israel when they divided, right? They eventually were taken, they were taken, the, the people were taken exiled and they were conquered by other foreign countries and empires, the Assyrians, the Babylon. God gave them plenty of time. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet saying, Change your ways. Change your ways. You're living, Isaiah, you're living outside of God's design. Change it. There was, repent there was time allotted. 
It wasn't like, boom, I'm, I'm done with you and I'm going to kick you, right? You know, like, no, there was time. You see God's grace. The flood reveals God's grace. Second Peter, let's go over to Second Peter chapter 2 real quick. Second Peter chapter 2, and, and here's my point. How I know we see the flood reveals God's grace. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, if he, again, speaking about God, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Right? We see in this verse, God preserved Noah. And how is Noah described in this verse? What is it? What is it? What's the, um, I guess, the title that's used or the description that's used to describe Noah? He's a preacher of righteousness. What does that imply? That he was preaching, right? If you are a teacher, you better be teaching, right? So Noah, was a, he wasn't just building a boat and people coming by. Dude, what are you doing? What you building? Hey, I'm building a boat. I'm, this, this, is, this is implied. I'm assuming, based on the scripture, he was what? He was calling people to repentance. He was calling people to change. And, and even that, even when you're building this massive thing that people have no idea what this is, and I'm sure people are like, what, what are you doing? And Noah's a herald of righteousness. He's a preacher of righteousness. People still didn't turn to him. People still didn't repent. People still didn't change. That's crazy. To get to that place, you've gone so far. Like, man, great wickedness, corruption. Right? This, this word, preacher of righteousness, this phrase, it's the same word we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, and 2 Timothy, I'm not going to go there, but when Paul says, I've been ordained as a preacher to the Gentiles, right? He was on a mission. He had a purpose. And same thing with, with, with Noah. The flood reveals God's grace, reveals God's grace. We see God's judgment, point one, and then we see God's grace. Chapter eight, and, and forgive me, brothers here, elders and leaders, I, I'm not going to look at chapter eight um, because that kind of concludes the rest of the flood story. The flood subsides. We see this covenant being renewed. I like what verse, I'll just read one verse in chapter eight, verse one. It says, but God remember Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to blow over the earth, and the water subsided. And again, we see the rest of the conclusion of the story. You guys know the story. Right, if you've seen that movie with, uh, who is that movie? That, who? Charles Heston, sure. I don't know. I don't know who that is. <laughs> there was a recent movie about the flood. I wasn't, the, it wasn't correct theologically. Russell Crowe, the gladiator dude, all right? I'm not saying go watch it, but it, it gives you some good imagery of like what happened, all right? But again, the water subsided, um, and it says in verse eight, verse verse I mean chapter eight, verse one, that God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him, right? Because God had made a covenant with Noah. We see God's grace. We see God's grace. In, in the flood, him preserving a, a, a people, Noah and his family. And so here, here's what I want to conclude with. I have a, just a few concluding thoughts and we'll be done. Um, there, there are some 
questions that I hope came, uh, there are some questions that I hope you're like thinking on this morning, right? Like, hey, what, what about this? Or what about that? Right? We didn't talk about the whole sons of daughters, the, the, the daughters of man and the sons of God. We didn't talk about the Netflix. There's a lot of things here that you could still unpack, right? You can go further about God's judgment. So I, I do hope that there are questions that you're like, oh, what about this? What about that? And my one encouragement to you is one of the best ways to study the Bible is to answer your own questions. Okay? I, preachers are not going to answer every single question for you or teachers won't answer every question. But I would encourage you, hey, if there's something that you're, you're still wrestling through here or you have a question on, explore it on your own. If you want to talk with me afterwards, I'd love to be able to talk, talk more about it, all right? So that's one concluding thought. The second thought I want to talk about is, revolves around Noah. And I, and I think here's an application point for us. The picture of Noah that emerges becomes a model of the kind of life that finds grace in the sight of God. I'm going to read that again. The picture of Noah that emerges becomes a model of the kind of life that finds grace in the sight of God. And here's why. It is simple obedience to God's command and trust in his provision by faith. It is simple obedience to God's commands and trust in his provision by faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 6. Look at verse 22. What does it say? Verse 22 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And we see that phrase repeated a couple times in chapter 7 and I believe in chapter 8, where Noah did all that God commanded him. Had Noah seen rain before? Did Noah know what an ark was? I don't, I don't think he did, right? But there was simple obedience. There was a, a step of faith. And what is faith? I love what uh, Dr. Tony Evans out of uh, Dallas, Texas, he defines faith as um, acting on the truth. And he defines truth as what God says about a matter. Okay? Not what our culture says about a matter, because if we listen to what the culture says, we'll be, we'll be going back and forth. Right? We'll be all over the place, especially what's going on in our culture and our society. Right? There's a concentrated Concentrate, that's, that's not even a strong word. I mean, there is a deliberate attempt to redefine people's identity, right? That is diabolical, right? There is a, a, an attempt to do that. That's what's going on in the culture. So you can't listen necessarily to what the culture is saying about truth because one day is this and one day is this. One day you're a banana, one day you're this, right? It's, you're all, it's all over the place, okay? And we have to obviously as Christians interact with that graciously and, and truthfully and, and, and be bold and, and again also be wise in how we do that but the truth of society man it's all over the place truth is what God says about a matter and faith is acting on the truth and so a question that I want you guys to think about this morning where in your life is God calling you to act in faith despite the culture or the circumstances that surround you I'll, ask the, I'll repeat that question again. Where in your life is God calling you to act in faith despite the culture or the circumstances that are, surround you? I think that's one clear application we see from the life of Noah. A man willing to obey God's command and trust in his provision 
by faith. My prayer is that we would be the same this morning. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for a very simple story, the flood. And uh, God, I do pray that you would allow us to be men and women who, who live by faith, who act on faith. God, help us to wrestle through some of the deep um, theological realities that a story like the flood brings in terms of your judgment, um, in terms of your wrath, in terms of the destruction that we see. Um, God, I, I'm just reminded even as I think about that, how this also points us to, to that one day um, years ago where your judgment was poured out on <laughs> your son where your son took on the sins of the whole world and he, uh, he was judged for that. Although righteous, although he knew no sin, as your word tells us, he became sin for us so that we might experience, this, experience the righteousness of God, that we might experience this relationship. And so, Lord, I, don't, I admit I don't know all the answers to some of these questions and it's some of these things are hard to wrestle through, but I do praise you and I thank you for the great salvation that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us as we go our separate, our separate ways and bless us throughout this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.